Good morning. Uh, My name is Kevin Jackson, and I'm going to be offering the message this morning. Uh, For those of you who are new to Windsor Road, I am not the pastor. Uh, Our pastor, Randy, is uh, on study break, so he's preparing uh, his messages and sermons for the upcoming fall and beyond. And let me just say I am honored and privileged uh, for this opportunity to speak with you this morning. Uh, But before we start, uh, let me go to the word, the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, you are holy and mighty and so good to us. We thank you, God, for um, this opportunity to uh, meet and fellowship and worship with other believers. I thank you, God, for um, this privilege and speaking on your behalf. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would just remove me, that you would, um, you would make your message clear through my voice. And I pray, Lord, that I will be a listener as much as I am a talker. And I pray that you be glorified in our time together. In Christ's name, amen. Well, um, it was about uh, 18 years ago uh, when I was uh, going to take a trip to Africa, and I was, uh, wasn't on a whim, I was, had to work there, right? I'm not that adventurous. Um, but I had to work, and so I was going to Africa, and I had a little apprehension about going to Africa. And it had nothing against the continent of Africa, um, but I was going to go to a, uh, a region in Africa that um, was really known to be susceptible to certain viruses, uh, one of which um, gave me the heebie-jeebies, which is the Ebola virus. Um, and because the Ebola virus is one of these viruses that attacks you, and you don't know you're being attacked um, until it's too late. Uh, by the time you know that you've been attacked, it's gone. It's over, okay? And that is always a little bit scary. Uh, when I want to talk to you this morning, this is not a, a health, health talk, Uh, What I wanted to talk to you this morning, though, was about something else, another stealth type of attack that I think that we can be susceptible to. Um, So I'm going to be talking about uh, spiritual warfare, and I'll warn you ahead of time, I'm a clicker guy. This is what I do in my day job. I click, um, and so I'm going to take the clicker out. Um, We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Um, And the reason why I think it's important to have this talk have this discussion is I think my fear is that as believers, we are so distracted by what we see. Um, We're so caught up in what's going on in the world in which we kind of walk around that we, we lose sight that there's a heavenly realm, that there's a realm out there that has implications that are far more important than, than what we see in our everyday life. And so what I want to do is to raise our awareness um, of this issue of spiritual warfare. Now, uh, there are a couple of things I want to uh, make a note of before we get started. I want to make sure we're calibrated. So when I say spiritual warfare, there's a lot of things that you can kind of conjure up. Uh, So the first thing I want to note is that when I say spiritual warfare, it may be a little bit different than your expectation, right? So Our conversation this morning is not going to be about demon possession. Um, It's not going to be about angels and demons doing battle in some other dimension, okay? 
What I have in mind for spiritual warfare, for the purposes of our conversation this morning, is a setting where where Satan or his demons inject themselves into our paths with the hopes of furthering their agenda. That's what I have in mind. These are attacks uh, from Satan or his demons whereby they inject themselves into our paths with the hope of furthering their agenda. Uh, Second thing I want to point out, note before we uh, get too far into it, and that is um, for us to give in to these attacks generally means that we're going to sin. But I don't want to leave you with the impression that all of our sin is a function of being spiritually attacked, okay? Uh, I talked about my definition of spiritual warfare or spiritual attacks, but we're fallen people in a fallen world, fully capable of sinning on our own, okay? Uh, Sometimes we just make choices that go against God. We do things that God would not have us do, and we don't do things that God would have us do, and it's our choice. We've just decided, okay? So I don't want to get kind of the Flip Wilson, Geraldine, the devil made me do it type of mentality, right? I want us to be aware that sometimes it could be, but sometimes it can't be. It might not be. Uh, The third thing is I wanted to highlight our goal for this morning. And my goal this morning is for us to recognize uh, these attacks with the hope of that in recognizing the attacks, we'll be better able to defend ourselves. We'll be able to guard against these attacks. Okay? So that's uh, these notes I wanted to get out of the way. Now, spiritual warfare is, is something that has been consistent, that's consistently talked about in Scripture. I just pulled out a passage in Ephesians uh, to kind of highlight or confirm that, yeah, there's this spiritual warfare that Paul uh, talks about in his letter to the Ephesians. Um, so in this letter, um, this is at the end of the letter, after he's kind of encouraged the church, he gives a warning. And his warning is that finally and I'll read, this is verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay? Um, So Paul is pointing out that there is this battle, this war that we're going to be undertaking, that we're in the midst of, and that we're going to be attacked, the devil's schemes. We're going to be attacked, and we need to stand strong against those attacks, okay? So I want to kind of facilitate our discussion by offering a framework, a framework in thinking about spiritual warfare. Uh, So the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about the types of attacks that we see in Scripture, just some examples that we see in Scripture uh, where uh, uh, describing Satan or the devil or the adversary injecting himself in the paths of others to further his agenda. So we're going to talk about those types of attacks we see in Scripture. The idea being that uh, if we understand what we see uh, in Scripture about the types of attacks, these might be the types of attacks we can anticipate in our own lives. Uh, The second thing we're going to talk about are the weapons that Satan uses. Uh, What weapons does Satan use in in, 
spiritually attacking us. Again, it's another way for us to identify whether or not we are under attack. And finally, um, I'm going to talk about responding to attacks. Um, Now, I'll say up front um, that there's going to be some dissatisfaction because um, it's difficult with certainty to say whether or not I'm being spiritually attacked. It's not like Satan shows up with a hello, my name is name tag and says, hey, I got a deal for you, right? That's not how it works. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look for evidence, look for indicators that we might be under attack. All right, Uh, types of attacks. Uh, The first um, uh, type of attack I want to uh, highlight uh, comes from Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. And for those who may not be aware of who Timothy is and the relationship he has with Paul and the point of this letter to Timothy, Paul is uh, writing to Timothy. Timothy is considered to be Paul's kind of spiritual son. Uh, Paul apparently played a, an important role in, in Timothy finding Christ. Um, and Timothy became a really trusted companion to Paul. In fact, Paul invited Timothy on the second missionary journey, on Paul's second missionary journey. And at this point, uh, when he's writing this letter to Timothy, Timothy is stationed uh, in Ephesus. He's kind of overseeing uh, the Christian, the believers in Ephesus. And in fact, Paul spends most of this letter telling Timothy how to organize the church. Uh, But in in addition to that, he provides this warning. He says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe, who know, and and who know the truth. Uh, And so I wanted to point out a couple of things about this passage. Uh, One thing about this passage that we note is that what Paul is raising uh, the flag on is this idea that there's going to be false teaching, false doctrine, okay? Uh, And in some cases, that could be, hey, this false doctrine is really, you know, off the grid, But what Paul's talking about is when um, times when people are adding something that is false to the truth, right? There's the true gospel. You add something false to the true gospel, and the gospel becomes false, right? It doesn't come kind of true. It becomes false. The second thing I wanted to point out about this passage is the source of the false teaching that Paul says. Paul says this is going to come from Uh, deceiving spirits, and that these uh, teachings are from demons. So the first type of attack that I want to highlight is this attack on doctrine. So that's one way that Satan attacks is through false doctrine. The second type of attack uh, I wanted to bring to your attention, um, and the second type of attack, I want to look at uh, fourth chapter of Luke. In the fourth chapter of Luke, we see an account of Jesus as he's in the desert. So Jesus has been baptized. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him. And he finds himself in the desert. He's kind of whisked away to the desert uh, where he's tempted by Satan. 
Right? So this is an example where Satan is injecting himself into the path of Jesus. And he's going to tempt Jesus. And this is how he tempts Jesus. Uh, he tempts Jesus in verse 3 by saying, I'm going to, hey, Jesus, why don't you turn this stone into bread? Now, he's saying this because Jesus is fasting and he's probably hungry and he's challenging Jesus. Why don't you just turn the stone into bread? I know you're hungry. Um, his second uh, temptation, uh, he tempts Jesus by saying, hey, I can give you authority over all the kingdoms of this earth. I can give you that authority. All you have to do is worship me. And this authority over all the kingdoms is yours. Uh, The third temptation is for Jesus to throw himself off the highest point in the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, he's telling him, hey, you know, you do that, and of course the angels are going to rescue you. They aren't going to let you hurt yourself, right? They'll catch you. Um, So he has these three temptations. And so what we see is, we see that Satan is injecting himself into uh, the path of Jesus. But now the question is, what's his agenda? Why is he doing that? Well, one of the resources I use in preparing for the sermon has a nice summary of what Satan is up to. Uh, I used uh, Haley's Bible Handbook. So if you're looking for something to add to your Christian bookshelf, uh, Haley's uh, Bible Handbook is a nice, is a nice book to have. And and they put it this way. Uh, They highlight that Jesus knew that it was his mission to save the world. The question was how to do it. By using the miraculous powers that had just been given him. Powers that no mortal man had ever known before. To give men bread without having to work. And to overcome the ordinary forces of nature. He could have become ruler of the world in short order. He could have made people do his will by force. That was Satan's suggestion. But Jesus' mission was to change the hearts of people, not to compel them to obey. So what Satan has in mind for Jesus, he's saying, look, you know, I know the end game. The end game is that you're going to rule over this world. That's the end game. So why don't we just take care of that right now? You know, forget this cross thing. Forget the suffering. Forget the humiliation. I can give you the end game right t- today, right now, and you can, you can ignore, you can get past all that stuff. You don't have to go through all that stuff. Um, of course, uh, uh, Jesus responds by, by using Scripture each time to respond to this temptation. But what we learn that from this second attack is that a type of attack that Satan might undertake is an attack to deter us from completing our mission. That was the point. He was telling Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. But that was the mission of Jesus, to go to the cross. So the second type of attack says, hey, I want to deter Christians from completing their mission. Uh, So the third type of attack, um, I'm going to look at the very first time we see that Jesus or that Satan is injecting himself into the path of others. So if we look at... uh, the Genesis account of Adam and Eve. Um, And there we see that um, uh, Satan appears before Adam and Eve. Um, You know, know, it sounds like Eve is doing all the talking, but scripturally, Adam's right there with her. Um, And so Satan, uh, disguised as a serpent, comes before Eve and Adam, says, hey, eat of this fruit. Yeah, this is the fruit that God forbade you to eat, but go ahead and eat of it. And they take and they eat 
right? We know the story. You know, what struck me about reading this account, something that stuck out to me about reading this account, um, was what I saw in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Uh, and then it says, then, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Well, this kind of sounds innocuous enough, but, um, but I think what hit home to me was as a parent. I mean, think about, think about a setting where you have children, and you have children created in your own image, for better or for worse. And you've provided for them. You've nurtured them. You've cared for them. You have delighted in your relationship with them. And then they decide they don't want to have that relationship. They remove themselves. You call them on the phone, they don't answer the phone. You go to the house, you knock on the door, you hear rustling, ruffling in the back rooms, and no one answers the door. And how painful that would be for a parent to go through that. Well, then it struck me that perhaps... What Satan's agenda is in this particular scenario, um, and perhaps in many scenarios with us, is that Satan really just wants to grieve God. He wants to, he wants to hurt, grieve God. You know, Satan, um, he knows he's lost the war. He knows he's lost. You know, sometimes we can underestimate Satan. But sometimes we can also overestimate Satan. We can kind of think of these spiritual battles as being between two opponents who are equally matched. Uh, But Satan knows better. He knows he's lost this war. So to some degree, all he has left is is to try to grieve God. Well, the point is that is that we see these types of attack in Scripture. So we might want to think about whether or not we're being attacked. When we, when we find ourselves drifting away from the true God doctrine, when we feel like I'm, I'm moving away from, from believing the true doctrine, or if I feel like I'm being uh, or, or removing myself from completing a mission that God has made plain to me. God has said, this is what I would have you do. And you resist. Or you pretend you don't hear. Or if there's a certain sin that we continually do, where we continually grieve God on some dimension, continually do that. Well, we need to think about, perhaps, we're being attacked. Okay? Now let's look at the weapons that Satan might use for his attack. Um, And this one's kind of an easy one. Um, You know, if we think about uh, a passage... um, in John, John chapter 8, and in this passage, um, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are these religious elite of, of the Jewish nation. And they think they're really serving God. Hey, I'm, you know, we're gung-ho for God. We are the you know, keepers and all this. Uh, and Jesus tells them, nope, you're not serving God. You are not serving. You think you're serving God, but you're not serving God. I'll tell you who you're serving. You're serving the devil. You're serving Satan. 
And then he goes on to introduce Satan to the Pharisees. And this is what he says. He says he, and this is Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this is, this is what Satan has at his disposal, his nature. So when he attacks us, he attacks us with lies and deceit. And this is what we saw in those three examples of attacks we saw from Scripture. This is what we saw. We saw Satan use lies. Well, what kind of lies? Well, Satan probably has a whole bunch of lies. Um, but there are at least three, and I'll call them classifications of sins, that I feel like Satan may be presenting me from time to time. So the first classification I see in my life from time to time is something that goes like this. God fails me when he doesn't serve me. God fails me when he doesn't serve me. So what do I mean by that? This is what I, I see it in my life is when I pray for someone who's sick and they don't get better. I pray for a relationship to be restored and it's not restored. And I'm tempted, I'm tempted to say, well, wait a minute, I guess God couldn't do that. God doesn't have the power to do that. Or God is not engaged. He doesn't really care. Um, you know, but the big picture mistake that I make is that God wasn't created to serve me in the first place. I was created to serve God. Um, so that's where I make my mistake. That's where I fall into this lie. A second classification of lie um, is this lie that says something like, I would be happy if only. I would be happy if only. Uh, and this, I see my wife back there, but this happens often in marital relationships. I would be happy if only my spouse would, right? If only my wife, if only my, or I'd be happy at work if only my boss, or if only my coworker would get lost, right? I would be happy. Uh, you know, we read a book a year or two ago, um, as a church family called Radical. Um, and the author, David Platt, he actually mentions this very lie in his book. And what he says about this, he says, you know, how you complete this statement tells me what you worship. Because it tells me where you're putting your trust. That's a lie. It's a lie that we have to be aware of. A third type of lie, classification of lie that I, again, have to battle is the lie that says, I don't need to give up the sin, I just need to manage it, right? Uh, and that's a very attractive lie, right? It's a lie that uh, is born out of my desire to control. I want to control what I can do, right? So I don't feel good about uh, having something control me but on the other hand, I don't feel about God controlling me either. I want to have control. That's a lie. Now, there are tons of, this is not an you know, all-inclusive list of lies, right? Um, these are just lies that are particularly challenging for me. And if we see ourselves drifting away from, drifting away from uh, true doctrine, if we see ourselves uh, 
not seeking to complete a mission that God has made plain to us, if we see ourselves grieving God consistently on some dimension, then we might, we might want to look to see whether or not there's a lie that's at the center of that. Is there a lie at the center of my neglect of the gospel? Is there a lie at the center of me not wanting to complete this mission God has set before me? Could be an attack. Well, how do we respond to these attacks? Um, how do we respond to these attacks? Well, um, we get a hint of how we need to re- respond to these attacks um, when we go back and look at that sixth chapter of Ephesians that we read earlier. Right? When Paul is speaking uh, to the church of Ephesus, he's, he's written a letter, and he talks about putting on the full armor of God. Uh, well, he gets more specific than that. If you were to continue to read the passage, he breaks it down. You know, put on the helmet. You know, put on the shield, the breastplate the sword, the belt. But what Paul is really getting at, the big picture is, is that we, we need to become warriors. You know, that's how we respond to these attacks, by becoming a warrior. As Christians, God did not design us to be civilians. We're not designed to be civilians. We're designed to be warriors. So how do you become a warrior? Well, you prepare. You prepare. So what does that mean? Well, you do the things that you're supposed to do. All those things that you're told to do, read your word. Read the Bible consistently. Pray consistently. Be in contact with God. Be in fellowship with other believers. Hold each other accountable. You know, I'm saying these things, and it, for most of us, there's no, oh, really? I'm supposed to do that? No. What I'm trying to get at is we just need to, do, we have a reason for doing those things. The reason why we do those things is to prepare for the attack. We have to be ready. So we have to prepare. Second thing, to becoming a warrior, uh, we have to know and recognize the enemy. Know and recognize the enemy. Now, some of the things that we've talked about, the types of attacks that we might anticipate, um, the weapons that, that Satan might use in attack, I mean, that helps us recognize the enemy. But there is also this risk that we point the finger at the wrong enemy. Um, I have referenced here uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 33. And in this passage, um, what... Uh, Mark account, the Mark's account is of Peter when he's seeking to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus responds by saying, get behind me, Satan. So what Jesus recognizes is that he's being tempted not to complete his mission, and he calls out the true enemy. True enemy is not Peter. It's Satan. And in our own lives, we run the risk of pointing the finger at the wrong enemy. In our marriages, if we're having conflict in our marriage, 
rather than pointing the finger at the person who is seeking to destroy my marriage, I point it at my spouse instead. Ah, that's the enemy. If I'm having conflict with a child, ah, that child, you point your finger at the child, you call that child the enemy. But Satan wants that relationship broken. That's Satan's work. Point your finger at the right enemy. Don't get lost. Don't get distracted. Don't be convinced that the enemy is your child. So know and recognize the enemy. Fight. When the attack comes, fight with all you have. Fight with everything you have. But don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. So make sure that Holy Spirit is with you when you fight. And bring brothers and sister warriors with you. Don't try to have a secret fight with with the devil. Don't try to have a secret fight with Satan. Bring some other warriors around you. Help them to allow them to help, help you, to give you strength, to give you accountability, whatever it takes. You fight with all you have, but you don't fight alone. And finally, you persevere. You persevere. Uh, As we saw with Adam and Eve, um, Satan attacked them, and they failed to the attack. And from time to time, that's going to happen to us. We're going to fall to an attack. The important thing for us as a warrior is to persevere. We ask God's forgiveness, and then we begin preparing for the next attack because it will come. We persevere, become a warrior. Now, in some ways, um, and I'm going to get some water because my mouth is really dry. some ways, um, um, this particular sermon for me, it's been a year in the making. About a year ago this week, uh, my son and I, at my ten, he was 10 at the time, uh, we went on a mission trip uh, to Peru. And for those of you who were around for that mission trip or for the discussion afterwards, you might recall that it was a pretty eventful mission trip. Uh, We went to an orphanage. We served at an orphanage. Um, But I have to say that each of these types of attacks that we talked about this morning, I saw all of them in two weeks in Peru. Culminating in the last day, our last day before we left the orphanage, uh, where we were robbed. All electronics, all cash, I think the, the most difficult part was the person who was in charge of guarding our possessions was held at gunpoint, he and his family. There was a lot of fear on that mission team, a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear from those at home waiting for the mission team, a lot of fear. Um, but the fear that struck me most was with my son, You know, after the um, 
after we found out about the robbery, um, you know, we were huddled up. We didn't know what to do. And Noah hugged me, and he kept hugging me, which was kind of good because he had hung out with teenagers the whole time. Uh, so I liked the fact that he finally remembered, hey, there's Dad. Um, but he hugged me, uh, and he was in tears. And he said, I'm never doing this again. He said, I'm never coming back. And I told him, I told him, that's Satan talking. So you don't say that. Because God has a plan for you. So you don't say that. Well, we made it. We made it back. And as a routine, um, Noah and I say prayer before we go to bed. Before he goes to bed. He goes to bed and I'm still doing stuff. Um, But we made it a... It's a routine that we've done for years. And after we got back from Peru, our prayers always consisted of praying for the orphans in Peru. Some of them by name, praying for the missionaries. And it was about six months had passed since we'd been back from Peru. And we'd had our prayer time. And Noah asked, so are you going back to Peru And I said, "Uh, actually, I think so. I think God is going to have something for me to do over there. I don't think I was fully prepared when I went. Honestly, I wasn't fully prepared. And I think God used a lot of what I did, but I don't think I was used the way that I could have been used. So I think God's going to take me back. And Noah said, well, if you go back, can I go with you? And uh, I said, well, you're going to have to ask your mother. (laughs) But what I thought, what I thought was, that is a warrior. That's a warrior. Amen. 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 And as exceptional as that was, that's what we are designed to be. We're designed to be warriors. So as we leave today, as we uh, you know, ponder this upcoming week, and you think about whether or not you're being attacked, understand that God has designed you to be a warrior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, you are so good. Your power is more than we can comprehend. Your love is more than we deserve. And we thank you for fighting the battles that we couldn't win and giving us your victory. We thank you, God, for your mercy. We 
thank you for your grace. Now, God, we pray that as we go forward, that we would go forward with your eyes and your ears and your wisdom that we might see the attacks of the enemy and that we would prepare for them, that we would recognize them, and that we would fight with all we have. Knowing that with your Holy Spirit, surrounded by warriors, that we can take anything Satan throws at us. May it be a priority in our lives to understand and to be aware of a world that we might not see. A world that has implications for our lives and for the lives of those we love. We love you, God, and we give you all glory. For it's in Christ's holy name we pray.